Thank you for downloading and or streaming the newest episode of Recasted 2.0. I'm Wayne G, joined as always by Jesse. What's up? Hello, friends. I feel like we're at the Masters. If you are new to the show, thank you for listening. What we do is we take movies that are at least 20 years old and we give them a new cast made up of modern day actors and actresses. Then we post the choices on social media for you, the listeners, to vote on. And joining us today to recast the 1992 Quentin Tarantino film Reservoir Dogs is Scott and Frankie from Shoot the Flick. Thank you so much for joining us. Woo! Hi! Hi, how's it going? Jesse and I do talk about your guys' show, Shoot the Flick, every episode because it's one of our favorite podcasts. But from the horse's mouth, I guess, uh, why don't you tell people a little bit about what your show is about and where people can find you? So uh, what we do on Shoot the Flick, every single Wednesday, we come out with a new episode of either me introducing Scott to a new movie or Scott introducing me to a new movie. And um, we try to open each other's minds and hearts to new cinematic masterpieces what was the last one we did? We just released our Heather's episode, which was a bit of a doozy. So yeah, that's that's what we do. We try to make jokes along the way. Mostly those jokes are aimed at ourselves. So that's always fun. You guys are definitely cruising through the Avengers as well. And, and you guys always have Wayne and myself laughing every episode. There are certain things you guys say or you'll drop in tidbits from different forms of media into your episodes that make me laugh as well. So I think you guys are always staying super fun. Oh, thanks. I really appreciate that. Frankie especially enjoys that because she does most of the editing. So when she drops those little things in. I love my little like clips. To They only add to my sick sense of humor. So I enjoy that. <laughs> they are very fun nuggets. And what about social media? If somebody wanted to interact with you guys, where would they find you? Oh, yes, of course. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick. And our podcasts, like I said, every week, pretty much anywhere your podcasts are listened to iTunes, Spotify, Spotify. Good Pods, yeah. iHeartRadio. You know, all that good stuff. We're working on Amazon Music. Getting around. We're trying. Doing our best. Well, you guys are definitely very active on, on Twitter. I'm not sure who's at the, the helm at, at one time or another on Twitter. Yeah, Scott controls the Twitter and I control the Instagram. <laughs> if there are any tweets about, like, wrestler movies or, like, you know, like some B-movie that no one's ever heard of, that's usually Scott talking. Once in a while, he'll ask if I want to post anything, <laughs> and I'll be like, eh, it's all right. <laughs> well, if you wanted to follow Recasted, we are available on Twitter as well, at Recasted Podcast, and we are on Facebook at Recasted Podcast, as well as our own group, which is called All Things Movies. You can post all things movies there, TV, pop culture, and whatnot. We do have an Instagram page, but like I told Jesse here, we keep touching on it. I don't think I've posted anything on there in months. No, we're lacking on the gram. I literally just saw you guys had an Instagram page, and I'm like, how am I not following you guys? <laughs> I, didn't, I was not aware. <laughs> Before we get into this week's film, we do have to go over the results from last episode, which was Caddyshack featuring Kyle from Movie Wars. The final tally was 37 votes for me, 15 for Jesse, and 12 for Kyle. Oh, my God. <laughs> so despite strongly disagreeing with some of Kyle's picks, I was really rooting for him to beat Jesse. <laughs> Man, second is just the first loser, so I'm not really happy about being crushed like that. That's why we brought you both on, so we could work as a, you know, a trio to really crush Wayne this episode. So let's do what we can to bury him, okay? <laughs> Should be very interesting. He's got a good cast. It's going to be interesting. I literally took notes. Like, all, I was taking notes today. I listened to your guys' review, and I had thoughts. But I'm, you know, I just met you, gentlemen, and I don't want to be mean or anything. 
no, please share your thoughts on the film and, and what we thought of the film. And I definitely wanted to ask you guys, I mean, if you've listened to our episodes, which I know you, you two have, you know we're not the biggest Tarantino fans as is. So, I, I mean, I definitely mentioned to Wayne, I was like, how did we get in this predicament that we're actually going to be reviewing our first Tarantino film? What does Scott have to pay you? And so why did you guys, you know, offer up this film or why was this film important to you? I'll start this one. So... A, it's the 30-year anniversary. Figured that was a nice little round number to start off. But Quentin Tarantino, just the way he speaks and his characters talk are very impactful to a lot of things about what I love about movies. And I know you guys mentioned, you know, the homophobia and the racism and things like that. But that's also because all his characters are pretty much terrible people. Well, there's a couple that are good, but the, usually the racist or homophobic assholes are just that. They are assholes and they're the bad guys, generally speaking. But he has such dialogue and he brings up references. Like, you almost want to be like, oh, what's he referencing here? Or what's the, he's paying homage to? It just, there's something so great about just diving into a Tarantino movie to then expand your movie knowledge and I just love watching the gore and having fun with it. He's just a fun director. I think I've always likened him to not so much a great director, but almost like an A-plus film student in college. So every movie he comes out with, I feel like is him trying to get another A on a project. But I don't feel of him as like a professor or even as a professional. Hmm. I mean, oh, such harsh criticism. How can I respond to it tactfully? <laughs> Let's see. Okay, so I, I have more of a personal connection with this movie through my dad. He actually was like, when you, I think it was Wayne, referred to Quentin Tarantino in general as like art house, jazz, turtleneck wearing, Starbucks drinking crowd kind of thing. And like, that was him. I get what you're saying <laughs> to an extent. However, I think that is a, a small percentage of the Quentin Tarantino fan club, you see. My dad in particular, he loved his movie so much. He wanted to show me this movie when I was seven. So, and it, it didn't work out. My mom said no. <laughs> but he, he loved Tarantino and he, he was the most blue collar of the blue collar gentlemen. So I, I think some people can watch it for the art house vibe, right? And I, I do get the reference that you just made that like he gives off vibes of like a film student. Like, I've, like you guys mentioned in your review that like this particular movie comes off like a fucking student film, which it does because like, you know, low budget. But <laughs> I think the reason Quentin Tarantino is so popular is because he does appeal to general audiences as well with his like snappy dialogue and the gore and the fighting and all this and that and and particularly just like the general style and the music choices he makes and just the general vibe that is Quentin Tarantino where whenever you sit down to watch a Tarantino movie you know you don't even have to know that it's Tarantino and you, you can see it just by looking that it's a Tarantino movie if that makes any sense what I just said <laughs> Yeah, he definitely does things that are different. I think with, you know, this movie specifically and probably some of his other ones that I either have seen or haven't taken the time to yet. He does character development differently. I think specifically in this film, it wasn't force fed to us. It was really just throughout the film. We had to learn about people as we go and really, you know, develop what we feel about characters in the film. So I think that was different, as well as, you know, the boundaries that he does push. We mentioned some of the things that he does and some of the things that are staples in his films. And with those, you know, he certainly pushes boundaries with, 
action, gore, and the language that he's willing to use. And a lot of really big name actors have, have done work with him. So a lot of people don't shy away from it. You know, they actually are excited to work with him multiple times. So I wouldn't say he's my, my favorite director, but he's definitely a, a pretty prominent one with the amount of films he's come out with and the high praise that some of them have gotten. I wanted to ask, is this you guys' favorite Tarantino film? It's mine, but that might be just more for personal reasons. It's always been a tie for me between this and Django. Yeah, mine's pulp, but, you know. Yeah, Django was the first one that I enjoyed, and I don't know what it was about it. It just seemed different than the other ones, and I think somebody mentioned it. It's more like he kind of did Django and Glorious Bastards and then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where he's kind of taking this thing where he's taking real-life events and then interweaving a fictional story within it. And I think that that's maybe what's made it so appealing to me, those three films, whereas earlier films were more just straight art house. I understand what you're saying about how he has a mainstream crowd. But listen, you know, people go to Starbucks. It was all hipsters that got like their Vente double espresso. I happen to like Starbucks, Wayne. <laughs> right. Well, that's what I'm saying is that it became very mainstream, you know. Right. Taking a lot of damage, Frankie. We haven't even gotten to the cast yet. <laughs> so it, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> it, it became very mainstream, but I feel like it's still kind of hipster central. And that's what I think of for Tarantino. He may have somewhat of a mainstream crowd, but they're still kind of hipster films to me. Right. That's that's fair, I think. I do want to give a few quick shout outs here. We did have some votes, as I mentioned, and I just do a quick breath here and I'm going to run through about 20 or so people who voted for the show and give them some thanks. Super Retro Throwback Podcast, at Nerd Rovert, your next favorite movie podcast, I Finally Watched Podcast, The 80s Movie Podcast, Art House Drive-In Theater, Mashley at the Movies, Stew World Order, Best Things Pod, at BD Barker 1, Friday Night Wine Fight, Not a Strong Start, Brothers Bear Pod, Lane Flicks Media, Critically Optimistic, There Is a Better Podcast, Two Weeks in Film, Billings Space, The Movie Badger, Other Brothers Pod, Double E Movies, Mickey One Minute, Film Buds Podcast, So What Happens Next Podcast, Popcorn Podcast, Breaking Character Podcast, Popcorn Pastor, and Popcorn and Pints. Thank you so much for your votes this past episode. Wow. Thank you all. Some of those titles, man. <laughs> they, they pull you in. It's, you know. I want to go to a Friday night wine fight. <laughs> Like, what is that? I must know. It always surprises me, some of the people that vote for our cast, because I tag a bunch of people in it. And then what's funny is that I'll get people that vote that I didn't tag, that I'm not following, that they aren't following me. And I'm like, oh, weird. I like, guess just a new podcast that saw this somehow and voted on it. That's the algorithm, man. <laughs> we do special shout outs. So these are some of the shows that we interact with the most. I wanted to kick things off with Field of Screens. We did talk about Bull Durham was their last episode. They haven't come out with an episode in a month, and I know that D. Kip's been working on his new job, but I'm getting field of screens, like, withdrawals. Well, I mean, maybe you need to see a doctor. They'll definitely figure it out soon. They're going to start pumping out episodes. I mean, you know, I, I know that you finally got a shout-out for sending over, you know, your sports t-shirts and your DVDs. So, you know, they'll definitely be able to pump out some new content uh, very soon. I know that we love hearing, you know, their accents and their impersonations of Americans as well. So uh, very fun, you know, friends we have over there at Field of Screens. Not to mention the Bull Durham episode was great. Just saying. Great movie. Great episode. Great guys. Absolutely. I'm going to get in trouble. I've never seen Bull Durham. <laughs> oh, you haven't? No. Oh, wow. 
Please, I know. It's on Scott's list of movies to show me. I don't know. I've, I've never been a big sports movie gal. I watched Rocky for the first time a year ago. <laughs> Bump it up the queue, Scott. <laughs> Best Film Ever podcast is another British-based podcast. Ian is Canadian. He is the main host. They just did Casablanca and a review of Moon Knight. I really like listening to these guys, and that whole shout-out section and this shout-out section that we're doing now is really something that I stole from those guys. Yeah, and, and Ian, I mean, I, I like to think that I have some, some good pipes here, you know, a, a good voice, but Ian puts me to shame. He's got a very great voice, a great delivery, and I love the show they have there. They always have great fun, you know, talking about, oh, you know, old fantastic movies or, you know, like you mentioned with Moon Knight, new content that I know you and I are very excited about. When Harry Met Movies is a family-friendly podcast. They just covered Who Framed Roger Rabbit. This is Mark showing movies to his son Harry for the first time. Very cute. And obviously, they just answer questions, and he asks Harry, you know, what character was your favorite? Who would you be? That kind of stuff. It's always a fun listen, and it's usually less than half an hour. Yeah, they recently have had some guests on. They started to cover some of the Harry Potters. They did a teaser uh, that looks like it's going to be one of the Robin Hood movies coming up soon. And uh, yeah, I definitely love hearing, you know, this father-son combo. That's like the cutest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> the Quantum Recast is our cousins, essentially. They just did Maverick and Tower Records, and they need to start voting because this is their last special shout out until they start voting. They've missed like the last three episodes. Right. Yeah. You know, the, the clock is ticking, guys. And, you know, you know what movie they're doing next is they're actually taking Big Lebowski back to uh, the early 80s. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to listen to that one. But yeah, our good friends over there have to uh, make sure they're scratching our, our backs as well. The Movie Wars podcast. This is Kyle and his group. They just did the one-year anniversary special. That was a couple weeks ago, so we're still waiting for the next matchup. But the one-year anniversary special was really great. I was disappointed that my question of when are we going to get Arnold versus Arnold did not come up. Oh, it's because it's probably going to take, that's probably inspired them to do the next episode. You know, you know how, you know, important you are to them, Wayne. I'm still upset how their Godfather Goodfellas episode ended up, but I'll let that go. Well, you know what's funny is my favorite episode, or my first episode really listening to them, I think it was Field of Dreams versus Bull Durham or something like that. It was two baseball movies, and it ended in a 4-4 tie, and I thought, how ironic that you have a baseball game that ends in a tie, or baseball movies that ends in a tie, which baseball never ends in a tie. Yeah, Tom Hanks told us that. I don't think he did, but all right. <laughs> Tom Selleck. Sorry, kid. We'll get him next inning. Uh, there ain't going to be a next inning. What are you talking about? It's 4-4. Four, four. No game can continue after 15 innings. So when do we make it up? <laughs> no, I'm sorry, baby. It's over. It's 4-4. Four, four. A ball game can't end in a goddamn tie. Sequel pitch. Ghostbusters it was their last film. They pitched a sequel to, I think, the uh, the all-female cast, Ghostbusters, because, yeah, that needs a sequel. Yeah, God help us. <laughs> Again, they're another one that needs to vote because they've missed the last couple, but I do interact with those guys pretty frequently. I love the idea of their show. When I first started listening to it, I was like, man, the idea of coming up with sequels for movies that don't have sequels, I, I do that all the time anyways. Your next favorite movie podcast. These are a new one to the special shout outs because they're always sharing uh, our posts and they're always voting. And their most recent show was Blackula and they did Terminator 2. I love Terminator 2. Definitely one of my favorite Arnold movies. I haven't gone beyond Terminator 1 and 2 in, into the Terminator franchise. I feel like once you get that far down the road, they start to really suck. Yeah, you don't need to. You, you, you really don't need to go much farther. Maybe if you're feeling frisky for me, after, okay. after that, you can kind of, eh. What about that one my boy Christian Bale was in? Is that worth any viewing? Oh, I've never seen that. Salvation is 
it's fine. It, it actually is the most different, so it's okay. But that was also when they were trying to make Jai Courtney a thing, and oh no, <laughs> yeah. Wayne tries to make Jai Courtney a thing about every four recasts. Oh no! <laughs> Why would you do that? I do like Jai Courtney, um, but the, the thing I do like about Terminator Three is I will say this, I'm a I'm a time travel buff. <laughs> One of my big things is like time travel and who gets it right in the movies and who completely is wrong in the movies. And the reality of time travel is this. This is the true fact of time travel. You can't go back and change anything. If time travel is real, you can't go back and change anything. It's just impossible to do it because it would create a time paradox. And what I loved was that Terminator 3 said exactly that. Like, he's back here to save John Connor and them, but all he's doing is just protecting them from the fallout because you can't change the past. No matter how many time machines you have, it's impossible to change the past. I think Hermione Granger showed us how to change time the best. So <laughs> True. But I also love how Wayne was like, here's facts about time travel that uh, doesn't exist, <laughs> but here are the facts. <laughs> he wrote the book. <laughs> Well, it's understanding the paradox, and that's what I really loved about the Time Machine remake movie, was that that's what it was. He kept going back in time to try to save his girlfriend who died, and no matter how many times he went back, she always died. Mm -hmm. She has to. You can't change it, because if you change the past, then it didn't happen, so you didn't go back to the past to change it, so then it did happen, so you had to go back to the past. You know what I'm saying? It creates a paradox. Wayne is the Charlie Day meme with like the bulletin board behind yes, him. Just trying I to was explain, literally just thinking that. He's trying right. to explain like time paradoxes. He's like, no, no, look, this one connects to that. And, so yeah. that. and then the last shout out I had here was I have Shoot the Flick. And you guys touched on it. You just did the Heathers episode. I started listening to it on my way home today. And I hate this movie. I hate it so much. <gasps> no. My, my 13 year old <laughs> daughter loves it, but I can't stand it. Wayne, <laughs> you've broken my heart. We haven't even started the cast yet. Use that anger. Let it flow through you. I'm building all inside my heart. Oh. Well, in the episode, you mentioned that I think there was a, another movie you mentioned, The Room, and you said how it was supposed to be a serious movie, but then it was so bad that the guy pitched it as like a dark comedy. Uh -huh. And I thought, is that what a dark comedy is? Is something that's bad? <laughs> Because it makes sense because another Christian Slater property, which was very bad things, which I also refer to as very bad movie, is just a horrendous movie that's billed as a dark comedy. Yet there's nothing funny about it at all. What's it called? I'm looking it up. I'm literally going to watch it. <laughs> yeah, very bad things. And, okay. and, it, and it has Christian Slater and Jeremy Piven and oh, um, Daniel Stern. And hmm. it's a good cast. It's just, it's just I thought it was a crappy movie. I'm going to find this, and then I'm going to get back to you. Christian Slater's got a lot of duds between that alone in the oh, dark. Yes, uh, really, when we recorded the episode, you were talking nice about Christian Slater. And I said he was a weird shit. He's <laughs> a weird guy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You just you just go whichever way the wind blows, don't you stop? <laughs> ride the Wayne train. It's just a fun ride over here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you'll be visiting that train after this episode, folks. <laughs> I did want to ask you guys, because we just ran through this list, what sort of podcasts do you guys listen to? Like, What are some of your favorites? I, I listen to a lot of other movies. Again, most of your, your special shout-outs, I listen to pretty much all of them. We really like the recasted stuff. So we listen to you. I almost said watch. We, we listen to you guys, and we also listen to Quantum Recasts a lot, and we literally will fight in the car <laughs> over whose cast and whose choices we like. Yeah, it's definitely an argument. Like, we'll sit there and be like, I like this one better, but I like that one, and we like, almost pick it out. <laughs> 
and it's funny that I made fun of the Tarantino crowd because I consider myself a movie buff, quote unquote. And one of the things that really turned me off one episode I was listening to, they're doing the Lord of the Rings and it was the, the first one they did. And I had messaged them and I said, you know, I thought the perfect Bilbo Baggins, because they did it in the 80s, would have been Dudley Moore. And they wrote back, they're like, who's Dudley Moore? Oh, no. I closed my computer. And I was like, I'm done. I'm done with this. Yeah, no, I don't blame you. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> The Lord of the Rings trilogy episodes that they did were very fun, though. You know, I definitely love listening to those guys. But you guys are so fun to listen to, especially when you get into Avengers stuff. And I actually enjoyed you talking about the Notebook as well. And I know you're going to talk about, or no, you haven't done Notebook yet. Was it the uh, the Walk to Remember? Walk to Remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so hopefully you do the Notebook. Well, I said to Scott because he's seen it, but it's been a while. So I said maybe one of these days I'll just torture you again with that one. It's definitely worth a rewatch. That's one of those that, that still, you know, gets a, a tear-jerking moment or two out of yeah. me. So, See, Jesse has a heart. <laughs> not, it's not just the superhero and sport movies that I'm into. So and I definitely love that you guys mix it up and you're definitely showing each other new things, you know, or, or re-watching them and getting new perspectives now that you guys are together. So I definitely love that about you too. Well, we'll definitely have to get you guys on at some point to, yes. you know, jump in and do one with us. Oh, we both would love that. You know, it would be really cool. Perhaps another Tarantino movie. <laughs> That'll be fun. I don't know if I can watch two in a short period of time. <laughs> oh my! Two in a ten-year period is too much for Wayne. I want to say it was Wayne. I don't remember. Am I be wrong? But when one of you said, "Oh, I can't put Reservoir Dogs higher than Caddyshack," <laughs> I literally pulled my hair out of my head. I wanted to die. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" That is your boy Wayne, yeah. <laughs> I was like losing my mind. Uh, I think one of the reasons that uh, people don't like to interact with us necessarily is because I'm very corrective of people when I listen to episodes. And it's funny because I think I messaged you guys after listening to Captain America because you'd mentioned, was it Hugo Weaving coming back to reprise the role of Red Skull in Infinity War? And I said, actually, it was Ross Marquand that was Red Skull in all the future projects. Yeah, which I didn't even know. So I was like, oh. Yeah, I, that totally <laughs> slipped like, it, it happens. You know what? If somebody corrects you, even if it's like, I know you guys, so I don't really care. Yeah, I mean, it's not meant to be like, it's just meant to be like, you know. Yeah. Oh. I've, I've had people correct me or our show, and it's funny because sometimes they do it and I'll write back. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a great point or whatever, because I look at it as interaction. But then sometimes I think about it when they don't reply to my reply. I'm like, were they just being snarky? <laughs> Yeah, it's hard on social media because, like, you can't take tone into account because it's like you're just reading words. So. Have you two watched any new cinema recently? The uh, last, like, new movie I watched was the Disney movie, Turning Red, where the little girl turns into a red panda, <laughs> like, yeah, randomly. I, I have a daughter, so I definitely watched that recently with mine. Did you enjoy or did you not enjoy <laughs> I enjoyed it. I thought it was very fun. You know, they, they never really miss. You know, they know the formula there. You know, with Disney Pixar, so I, I felt like Turning Red was a really fun one. And you know, my daughter is actually twelve years old, so it was kind of right in her wheelhouse. Yeah, Disney at this point and Pixar, they kind of like it's either like eh, okay, it's fine, or it's like really good. But either way, it's you know, they're kind of out of the phase where they're just making like Chicken Little and Home on the Range level of movies. <laughs> They've gotten past that, I think. And are you two watching Moon Knight? I'm waiting till everything comes out and then I'm binging it. No, I haven't started it yet. I really should. I've heard the first two episodes are okay. I've enjoyed them both. I think everybody's got a different perspective. I think with so many things that Marvel's put out now, it's, you know, people are kind of fatigued. So they're not really ready for what 
at this point Marvel's putting out, I think, you know, with Shang-Chi and some of the other stuff that we're seeing, there's, you know, some fantastical stuff that Marvel's involving and I'm not really sure how much the fandom really wants to be open or accepting of that. But honestly, I think that Oscar Isaac's done really awesome through the first couple episodes that I've seen. I love Oscar Isaac in general, so I, I'm sure he's great in it. I just, I know myself when it comes to like these Marvel series, I gotta wait till everything comes out. Cause otherwise I'll just be like going crazy, like waiting for the next episode. Like I just wait and then binge everything. Yeah, we don't need that for Scott. Wayne, have you watched both the first two episodes? I have. Well, the third one's today, right? But I didn't watch today's episode. I did watch the first two. My concern with the series, because it's very cool, and I think Moon Knight's a very cool character, is that they're playing it like a slow burn, but there's only six episodes. So you got to start burning faster. I think they did the same thing with Cap and the Winter Soldier, because that started off a little slow, too. So I think they know around episode three is when I think their shorter series tend to take off. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. You know, we've seen that with where they have like three or four different series now and they've got more coming forward in the slate. So like Disney Pixar has a formula, we know that Marvel under that same umbrella has a formula and some of the shows have taken some criticism and this one's not alone with that. But, you know, I'm going to continue to watch it and I hope you guys watch it in the future. I will say I also have caught up on The Walking Dead, so now I'm waiting till August for the last eight episodes. And if Rick doesn't come back, I am going to lose my shit. Well, I'll just say God bless you for hanging on as long as you have, because I gave up like a while ago. I couldn't do it anymore. I gave up and then came back for the episode where Rick was supposed to die, and then he didn't die, and I was very confused and (laughs) underwhelmed, and I'm like, wait. And then I tried to keep watching and got bored again and then gave up again. So (laughs) I'm waiting for the movies to come out (laughs) with Rick. Well, that is all I had for the opening of our show. Are you guys ready to recast Reservoir Dogs? I'm very ready, yep. very scared, but very excited. I am prepared, I think. I'm good. I'm excited. <laughs> Let's do it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right Here I am, stuck in the middle with you Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you And I'm wondering what it is I should do Today we are recasting Reservoir Dogs, a 1992 heist movie directed by Quentin Tarantino. Jesse and I gave our thoughts recently on a half-hour review show, and we are going to be recasting in a 1v1v1v1 format, so it's every person for themselves. I will introduce the character, original actor, and my choice for the role and why, and then Jesse will give his pick, followed by Scott and then Frankie. At that point, we will bring it back around town. Now it's time to bring it around town. Bring it around town. And I will give my thoughts on everyone else's pick, then Jesse, then Scott, then Frankie will do the same. Sounds good. The character we are starting with today is Joe. No way, no way. Try it once, it doesn't work. You get four guys all fighting over who's going to be Mr. Black. But they don't know each other, so nobody wants to back down. No way. I pick. You're Mr. Pink. Be thankful you're not Mr. Yellow. He is played by Lawrence Tierney, who was 72 years old at the time. 
Prior to this film, his acting career goes back to 1943. He was in Dillinger as John Dillinger, Born to Kill as Sam, Silver Bullet as Owen, but I always think of him as Elaine's dad in Seinfeld in the episode where he makes Jerry wear his new suede coat out in the rain. I found this character to be rough, gruff with a commanding presence, and he never smiled. It was all business all the time. I went with Jonathan Banks here. He's 75 years old. He was in Beverly Hills Cop way back in the day, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, but he's most famous for playing Mike Herman Trout in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. So this role, to me anyways, is a mirror image of Joe. Yeah, looking into Joe, I definitely wasn't as familiar. You know, I'd watched some episodes of Seinfeld, but, you know, I, I didn't have any, you know, memory from him there. So I had to do a little bit of research on him and found that he had played a lot of mob type roles, a lot of, you know, mob boss type roles. So this seemed to be kind of pigeonholed for, for Quentin to have him in here as this. And, you know, I, I went with somebody, you know, I had a few ideas rolling around and I ended up erasing it and going with this guy finally, but I ended up going with Michael Chiklis. The reason I went with that is, you know, at this point, he, he not only looks a lot like him, bald, big frame, and has done a lot of, I would say, law enforcement and tough, stern type roles. But the biggest thing is, and it's probably a dead giveaway, is during the film, you know, Mr. Orange, you know, describes him to somebody as, have you seen the Fantastic Four? You know, he's the thing. And who played the thing in, in, you know, a couple of the Fantastic Four movies, the ones that are actually worth watching. That's my boy, Michael Chiklis. So, yeah, that's why I went with him. Okay. So, Lord Tierney is kind of a little bit of, like, old Hollywood royalty kind of a guy. So, I figured I wanted to slide a legend in here. My guy's 70. He, you've known him for everything. He's been Batman. He's been Vulture. Do you want a drum roll? <laughs> ah, maybe a little bit. But I got Michael Keaton. You can't really go wrong with the guy. He just, he's great. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury slash audience, let me tell you something that differentiates me from the rest of my fellow competitors here. I, I don't know if you realize this, am a woman. Now, <laughs> now, uh, as I mentioned, I'm a big fan of Reservoir Dogs, but I thought I wanted to spice things up a little bit with my casting, and I started right from the tippy top with the character of Joe. Now, I know what you guys are thinking. Why did she have to mention that she's a woman for no reason? <laughs> Let me explain. My casting choice is the effervescent, the elegant, the beautiful, the badass, Angela Bassett. Now, just let me explain. <laughs> she actually, what Wayne said before about Lawrence Tierney having a commanding presence is very interesting because in my notes, I know I can't physically prove it, but in my notes about Angela Bassett, my arguments for her being the character of Joe, the first thing I wrote was commanding presence. She has played badass characters throughout most of her career from American Horror Story. She played a badass, murderous, scary as hell, biatch, waiting to exhale, Black Panther, where she literally plays a stoic, iconic, and just intimidating queen. Okay, literal queen. And I just love the idea of a strong-ass, badass woman lording over all of these men and being the boss. And that's why I picked her. All right. For me, Michael Chiklis checks all the boxes. I haven't really seen him in anything outside of the Fantastic Four and the Shield, but he's rough and gruff and he's got that commanding presence. So good pick, Jesse. I, I really had no qualms with this one. 
Michael Keaton, I like him as an actor, and I know Jesse will back me up on this. We both loved him in Dope Sick, and we felt like he deserved every single possible award he could have gotten because he crushed it. I think it's a little bit of an outside-the-box idea because I do think he's a little bit peppier, a little bit more sarcastic in his tone and his nature. I think he can do it, and I'd probably like it. I just It's a little bit outside-the-box and different. And as far as Angela Bassett... I mean, listen, I didn't realize she was 63. She is still a smoke show. But I will say this, unfortunately, Frankie, that's the only positive thing I'm going to say about this pick. I think when we get guests, a lot of times they think we're remaking the movie. We're redoing the script a little bit. It's going to be a total new remake. Whereas in my mindset, we're actually making an identical shot for shot film with just new actors. And so I think, you know, it's tough when you have a movie which is about essentially six white homophobic, racist, misogynistic people, and we're recasting a multiracial, multi-gender cast to play them. So I just, I didn't love it because I felt like the character just didn't fit for me because I didn't see her as a, a white racist guy. All right. So going to my defense here, uh, who I liked and who I didn't like, I'm going to start off with Keaton. Um, I actually think that he's a great pick, Scott. I think that between Batman and uh, the Vulture, I think we see, you know, the versatility. I think we also know what type of actor he has. You mentioned it. He's got that gravitas. So I have no qualms with it at all. And with Angela Bassett, I know her from Black Panther. I know her from a, a show on Fox where she plays a captain on the police force on 911. So she's definitely a no-nonsense leader and a very respected one. So I can definitely see that from that perspective. And I definitely appreciate you trying to find a, a different mold. Um, I think, you know... Uh, Shame on you for trying to do something that Wayne didn't see coming. But, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a really good pick. Um, you know, she's definitely a very well-versed and well-respected actress, you know, very highly regarded. So I think she's, she's really good. I mean, I'm going to bring some heat later, Frankie, but I'm not going to give it to you like Wayne did. And on Jonathan Banks, he's pretty predictable. I think he plays this guy on, on Breaking Bad. And Better Call Saul, you know, he's got a pretty cop-heavy background, but I think, you know, he can definitely be this guy. I mean, he looks like he's got a, a pissed-off kind of face, you know, a resting bitch face, if I may. Yeah, so Jonathan Banks, it's the on-the-nose pick. Just wanted to see, because there are other people online who all do, oh, what if you did this in 2017? What if you did this in 2018? And every pick for Joe was always Jonathan Banks. Always. Like, without question. It is the most common pick. And yes, he's got the gruff voice. He's, you know, he's what you would expect. Now, Michael Chiklis, I knew the shield was going to come up. He is the dirty cop. He's got the thing. He's He's got a lot of gravitas to him. But I think the shield is an outlier of his career. I think he's much more of a comedic guy. And I wonder, are you going to get the S.H.I.E.L.D. Michael Checklist, or are you going to get the Thing Michael Checklist, which is two very different characters? Angela Bassett, yes, my wife picked... Rip me apart, Scott. <laughs> no, you picked a great actress. She is an amazing actress. I really have nothing bad to say about Angela Bassett. If you're going to do this movie now... Even Quentin said if he was going to redo this movie, he would have an all-African-American cast. So, you picked a great actress, I can't really argue that you're there. Okay, so my response is, here we go. As far as Wayne's pick, Jonathan Banks, I kind of concur with both Jesse and Scott in saying that it is kind of the obvious pick, I suppose. 
I really don't know him from anything outside of Breaking Bad, which I feel like most people can kind of be on the same page with. And as far as, like, what Wayne was saying about remaking the movie or recasting the movie, just doing, like, the exact same actor or the same physical type just in a different year, I feel like that's probably the easy thing to do, perhaps, but... I look at recasting not always in that way. There is something to be said about the vibe of the character being the same, but not necessarily the, you know, physical or uh, demographic type. And as far as Jesse's pick with Michael Chiklis, the only, th- the only thing I know him from is being in the Fantastic Four movies. So I'm not going to speak on him as like an actor because I haven't even seen those movies, really. I just know that he was in them. However, just from the little bit I do know about him, I would say that maybe he doesn't, like, bring the thunder as far as the intimidation factor, the same that Lawrence Tierney has. And I think with that character, you have to have a certain level of, like, aged wisdom plus intimidation that I don't know if Michael Chiklis can produce. Lastly, with Michael Keaton, that's probably my favorite out of these three that I've heard that aren't mine. Um, (laughs) I I think Michael Keaton has proven himself to be able to produce like a dark villainous type of performance, but also kind of have that comedic or sarcastic side. But I think he can really go all the way to the other side of the spectrum for a role like this. And I think it'd be pretty cool to see him in that kind of like boss head leader type role. Moving on to the next character, we have Joe's son, Eddie, played by Chris Penn. Larry, we have been friends, and you respect my dad and I respect you, but I will put fucking bullets right through your heart. You put that fucking gun down now. God damn you, Joe. Don't make me do this. Larry, stop pointing that fucking gun at my dad! Penn was 27 when he played this role and sadly passed away in 2006 at the age of 40. Prior to this, he was in Best of the Best, Mobsters, All the Right Moves, and Footloose. And while he was fantastic in Footloose, I'm always quoting his line from Best of the Best. What are you counting them for? I don't know why, I just think that's hilarious. I found his character to be a little bit entitled, definitely a bit of a man-child, somebody who, you know, his dad runs an organized crime ring, so he acts like a tough guy, but you feel like if his dad wasn't Joe, he'd get beat up a lot. I went with Jonah Hill. He's 38 years old. He's become an absolute stud in Hollywood. He's worked with Tarantino and Django. He's worked with Scorsese and Wolf of Wall Street. I think he really encompasses the character of Eddie. I think he's just kind of a douchey, fake tough guy. Yeah, for this one, you know, we see him wearing a, a jumpsuit, so he definitely comes off as, the, you know, the youngest of the group. And I do see, you know, what you're saying, Wayne. I do see him as that entitled, kind of gets everything handed to him by his dad, has never really had to work for anything. But then we do see, it, you know, at a certain point in the film that he definitely has, you know, a badass side to him that then the, the snap of a finger, he's bang, bang, bang. You know, so, you know, for this gentleman... I definitely had to pick someone that had some badass to him. And, you know, I went with a lesser known name to some. He's been in some TV shows, starting out with soap operas, and then he's uh, in Chicago Fire. But the show I know him most from is Animal Kingdom, and that gentleman's name 
is Jake Weary. In Animal Kingdom, he plays, you know, one of the, you know, badass family members that, you know, literally takes on heist for the family's sake, that keeps that family run, and is kind of a mob family of, of his own. Definitely recommend Animal Kingdom to anybody who hasn't seen it. But he's also um, in, you know, It Chapter 2 as the leader of kind of a youth gang. So I got some of those same vibes from him. But, you know, again, a little bit of a lesser known name uh, and actor. But, you know, Animal Kingdom, definitely worth checking out if you haven't. This was a role I had like five or six different people for. I did have Jonah Hill as a possibility, but I, I was chucking around names and I ended up landing on Eldon Henson, who is from Daredevil. He plays Foggy. He does show a range of emotions within Daredevil, especially trying to deal with Matt Murdock being both Matt Murdock and Daredevil and how he tries to balance that out. Eddie is kind of that character of he's got to be the boss's son, so he's got the punk attitude. But he also, when you see him interact with Mr. Blonde, he's got a fun side to him a little bit when he's busting Blonde because he knows him like a brother. But I can see the punk in him, especially when you go back to some of his younger years where he was in the Mighty Ducks as Fulton. He was a punk in that. So he knows how to be a punk. He has a young looking face. So even though he is the oldest of all the people we have casted at 44, he doesn't look it. And I think he is a nice character actor who would be a nice fit into the nice guy Eddie role. So my pick for Eddie is RJ Seiler. And he's also kind of a lesser known actor for sure. I first took notice of him in the most recent, I believe it came out in 2017, I want to say, the Power Rangers movie, which generally didn't get the best reviews. I genuinely loved it because I'm a big Power Rangers gal. I was at least growing up. <laughs> but he definitely was a standout in otherwise pretty average film. And then most recently, I think towards the end of last year, this Netflix movie, The Harder They Fall, came out, and it's a, a Western with mostly, if not all, African-American actors, and uh, he was awesome in that. He's 27, so he's pretty, like, he's exactly the same age that Chris Penn was, and I think in that movie in particular, The Harder They Fall, he gives off a very strong, like, arrogant, like, I'm hot shit vibe. And I think that's what's needed for the nice guy Eddie character. Like Wayne said in the beginning, he's kind of a wise guy and he thinks he's hot shit. So I think he's a perfect fit for my cast as Angela Bassett's son, who maybe has a little head that's a little too big for his britches. Yeah, the pick of Jake Weary, I really didn't know who it was when you sent it over initially. I thought maybe you had dipped back into that kissing booth bucket, but it turns out you actually dipped into the Fred movies and... I don't think it's a bad pick. I think he's definitely a tough and scary type of guy. I just wonder if he's a little too serious and tough and scary. I think Eddie was a little bit playful. I don't, I don't see that with this particular character. Eldon Henson, I think fantastic pick. Hit it on the head. I think that's exactly what I think of when I think of Eddie, a guy who just looks like he was pushed around a lot as a kid or he would have been if it weren't for the fact that his dad was connected. And as far as R.J. Seiler, you know, I mean, I mentioned the, uh, the diversity thing earlier, so I won't mention that again. But as far as his personality, again, I think you hit it on the head. You mentioned the harder they fall and the character he played in that. I actually have right here in my notes the words too big for the britches. So I think that you actually hit that right in the head as far as that character goes. 
I think for Jonah Hill, I mean, you put a sweatsuit on him and he's a carbon copy. I think it's too easy. I'm not going to say just that. I'm going to say that it's kind of the same criticism I gave Kyle from, from last episode that we did. I feel like this man is too big for you to give him, you know, what realistically was, you know, what was Chris Penn not the smallest name on that? you know, of, of the actors when you look at them, you know, of the, those six characters. So I think you're giving us one of the better actors in the game, probably one of the biggest actors out there that has so much range and has grown up from super bad all the way to, you know, becoming in Scorsese films. I don't know, man. He just seems way too big for Nice Guy Eddie. You know, that's why I went with somebody, you know, a, a little bit lesser known. I feel like we've got some real big shoes to fill moving forward. And I don't know if you're going to be able to shine a light any brighter than you did on Jonah Hill there. Scott, you know, I'm I'm not a huge fan of the Foggy Nelson pick. You know, even though he is a little bit of a punk ass in, in Mighty Ducks, I'm not sure I get the maniacal, the turn on a dime, be able to shoot somebody three times. I think I saw this dude cry in Daredevil so many times, and I'm just not sure he has the backbone to to hold the gun the right way. So I mean, that that's my criticism there of him. You know, I I think he's got the right look, but as far as what I've seen of him on his resume, I don't know if he's got that. I can shoot somebody, and we definitely see him fly off the handle in defense of Mr. Blonde. And RJ Seiler loved him in Power Rangers and absolutely loved him in The Heart of They Fall. I got that overconfident, cocky, but he was the one that we kind of found ourselves cheering for in the movie. I thought that Netflix film was one of the better ones I've seen in years when The Heart of the, the Heart of They Fall. So definitely recommend that one to anybody. But yeah, I think, you know, really across the board, I loved everybody's picks. But Wayne, I think he's just, he's too good for that role. Uh, I got to agree with Jesse about Jonah Hill. If you put Jonah Hill with this role of Nice Guy Eddie, even though he is literally the character, A, the budget is skyrocketed at this point with him. But Wayne doesn't care about budget anymore. He moved on about 20 movies ago on budget. I know. I also know he is a common pick for Wayne. To be fair, though, I mean, Quentin has like $90 million budgets now. He doesn't give a shit about budgets either, but continue. <laughs> Jonah is a great pick. I, I I can't say he's not a great pick. Is he an easy pick? Yeah. But I also think his last couple of movies haven't been great. Don't Look Up was terrible. Don't give me that look. Uh, I gave him a look. <laughs> but he's also the worst part of a bad movie. So, I don't know. He's Jonah Hill. You know what you're going to get with Jonah Hill for the most part. Jake Weary I wasn't really super familiar with. But I did look up a couple of scenes. And I think... He's a bad motherfucker. He is a bad motherfucker, and it does work for that, but I almost think he's too tough. I don't buy him as the guy who hid behind his father, if you know what I'm saying. What if I told you in Animal Kingdom he was a closeted gay surfer amongst the family there? What does that mean? <laughs> Gay surfers aren't tough. <laughs> what does that mean? Oh, well, I, I think it sh I think it shows a bit more emotion and tenderness to the character. I've, I've, I've... No, I go. I'm joking around, but yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, again, just his look. He looks like he can handle himself a lot more than Nice Guy Eddie could. R.J. Seidler, I love him in Harder They Fall. I loved him in Power Rangers. I just think he's too young. He just he has a young looking face. And I think that's an issue when you have him as this character, because even though he, he's too big for his bridges, I just think personally he just looks a little too young to fit in as a believable force against the crew. But yeah. Okay, so I'm not going to beat the Jonah Hill horse to death, because I feel like that's been done now. I basically agree with what both Jesse and Scott said regarding Jonah Hill. 
I mean, when Scott and I rewatched Reservoir Dogs, we literally said, oh my god, you could put Jonah Hill in that stupid, ugly jacket, and there you go. But there's also an issue of he's a little too old, I think. I think if it was super bad Jonah Hill, we could have a real conversation. As far as Eldon Henson, um, who? Because, okay, like, I watched some of Daredevil. I was bored through a lot of it, so I don't remember much. But I think you're mistaking the fact that people are very much into the fact that Charlie Cox is now in the MCU, and you think that that means people care about the Daredevil show, which I don't really think they do. And also, I mean, the guy hasn't even been in a movie since 2018, and like the last five, ten years, it doesn't look particularly good for him. And I think he's a little too nerdy also. Like, I, I don't see him as a wise guy. Let's put it that way. And in regards to Jake Weary, again, who? I don't know. I've never, and I'm sure he's a lovely actor. I've never seen Animal Kingdom, but I heard it's a really good show. But I think, to be quite frank, I think he's too hot to be this character. <laughs> he's a, if you haven't seen him, which is very likely because who? Um, look him up. He's a blonde-haired, bearded, buff, tattooed guy. I would very likely swipe right if I was single, but, you know, I don't see him as, like, a fumbling, cocky, wise guy that's falling over himself to impress Daddy. I don't see that. And also, the fact that you use Mighty Ducks in your positive argument is hilarious. That was what I forgot to say. Mr. Pink is next. I don't tip because society says I have to. All right, I mean, I'll tip if somebody really deserves a tip. If they really put forth the effort, I'll give them something extra. But, I mean, it's tipping automatically. It's for the birds. He is probably my favorite character in this film. He is played to perfection by Steve Buscemi, who was 34 at the time. Prior to this, he was in Billy Bathgate, Barton Fink, Miller's Crossing, The King of New York. I found him to have a ton of energy, a bit spastic, but his cadence and delivery you know, gave him an element of humor. He was basically Buscemi in the film. He played himself. And I went with Adam Goldberg here. He's 51, and he's been in Dazed and Confused, Saving Private Ryan, A Beautiful Mind, Fargo, the TV series. I always think of him as Chandler's crazy roommate, Eddie, and Friends for like two episodes. Uh, but I think he brings that same kind of roller coaster of paranoid energy and humor that you would need for Mr. Pink. So, I mean, for this character, he's definitely a nervous, uh, I think, talkative at times. But, you know, he's all, he's also, he, he shows himself to be the, uh, the overconfident criminal. You know, when he's at that table saying he's not going to tip, when he's kind of giving off the, the reason why, you know, I think he's trying to give himself reasons as to why he's a tough guy, you know, a fake tough guy, in my opinion. So that's what I pulled from him. I found that the character was definitely panicky. He was a bit cowardly. For those reasons specifically, I went with John Heater. You know, a lot of people know him from way back in the day being Napoleon Dynamite. And then he was pretty awesome with Will Ferrell and Blades of Glory. But seeing, you know, Steve Buscemi, you know, Mr. Pink back down at the table as soon as Joe said, you didn't tip, I just paid for your breakfast, you're going to tip, and he immediately tips. And then seeing, you know, him in that little, it was a very small, but there was a little bit of like a, a dispute uh, with Mr. White where they were pointing guns at each other. And at no point did I feel like Mr. Pink was going to win that battle. And then at the end, he's the one that's alive scurrying off with those diamonds. So to me, that's John Heater. Again, you, you'd know him from Napoleon Dynamite and some other films. He's not super pre you know prevalent, but I get that awkward, cowardly, talkative vibe that I got from Steve Buscemi here. So I went with Donald Glover. The things I pull from Mr. Pink are Mr. Pink has never had a thought that he hasn't said immediately afterwards. 
he always talks. He is quick to just say whatever's on his mind. As I said, he's quick to say whatever's on his mind. Donald Glover not only can speak like that and can hell, he's a hell of a rapper. You know what you're going to get. His songs are fast. It's all quick with Donald Glover. And not only that, I think everybody in this movie has an air of cool about them in this crew. And even Buscemi has a little bit. And I think Glover does bring that up a little more. But I think Glover does everything that Buscemi can do, but do it a little better. So my pick for Mr. Pink is Riz Ahmed. He has played several kind of scatterbrained, paranoid, wiry type characters in the past. Very similar to Buscemi in this role. He was in Nightcrawler. He was in Rogue One, Star Wars Story, Sound of Metal, etc., etc. He's also a rapper, but I feel that he, in conjunction with being a rapper and having a very quick wit, he actually has the acting talent and gumption to back that up. All right. So I think that when it comes to the John Heater pick, this one really puzzled me. I just don't get any of the hyperness that we see with Mr. Pink, any of the spasticness, and I certainly don't see any of the seriousness that Mr. Pink brings from time to time. I just feel like we're getting a goofy, monotone Mr. Pink. You know, oh, we're double-crossed. The police were there before the alarm went off. Gosh, it just doesn't fit for me. Donald Glover, I think, is actually, again, I... If I get away from the whole diversity thing, which I'll get into in, in a second, I think that he's actually perfect. He has some of the similar traits of Mr. Pink personality-wise, so I, I didn't have a problem with that pick. And as far as Riz Ahmed, so here's a little bit of a, a spoiler peek into my almost. I really wanted to cast Dev Patel here because I've been looking to cast him in something, and I thought that he would be the perfect fit for Mr. Pink. But the reason I didn't is because this was the moment where I said, you know what, I can't have a diverse cast. I have to have this all-white cast because that's what the movie calls for. But if I throw that out, I think Riz Ahmed is absolutely perfect. Uh, I had cast him as Hans Gruber in our Die Hard recasting, and uh, I, I think he's an absolutely fantastic Mr. Pink in terms of his acting ability. Uh, yeah, so going on, you know, starting with yours, Wayne, I, I think that, you know, Adam Goldberg, you know, he definitely ha has some humor in his repertoire, a lot of it actually. And, you know, he's a character actor known more for his supporting role. So I think this would be good for him because even though Mr. Pink does steal the show in some people's opinions, he's definitely a, a key part of that whole supporting cast that makes this such an iconic movie for some. So I think that he would definitely work there. You know, I, I don't have any issue there. I mean, Glover, I think he's funny. I think he's serious at, at times. Super talented. I mean, I, I love his music. Atlanta on FX is, is really, really good. The guy is uber talented. He oozes it. I think that, you know, I could definitely see him running off with the diamonds at the end. Riz Ahmed, between Nightcrawler and then his role in Venom, I think that he is a seamless fit here. So I think really across the board, everybody did a great job. I have no issues with anybody's Mr. Pink here. Now that I've been reminded who, like Adam Goldberg's roles, I do see the franticness. I do see everything he does really well. I just needed a jog in my memory for him because I kept looking him up. And like I kept finding interviews. I'm like, what has this guy done? And I'm like, oh, okay, now I get it. I see it now. So it's a good cast. Again, I'm not going to push it, but Napoleon Dynamite, it's it's uh that's a rough casting, my friend. Uh, the last thing I saw him in was Trevor Seven, so I don't think pulling him into uh <laughs> into this movie would be great box office material. And honestly, everything we've seen him after Napoleon Dynamite, 
all I see is Napoleon Dynamite. Riz Ahmed, is he Oscar? No. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Oscar so. nominated actor. He can do pretty much anything you ask him to do. I really have no problem with that either. <laughs> I can't really say much about Wayne's pick. I never heard of Adam Goldberg before this whole thing. We were sent the cast list and stuff. I, I've never, I've never seen him in anything. So I really have nothing. I can't, in fairness, say anything bad about him. I feel, I would feel disingenuous to do that. As far as Scott's pick, with Donald Glover, I just want to clarify because I maybe what my opening statement made it sound like I don't think Donald Glover is talented, and that is totally not true. I absolutely love Childish Gambino. I love Donald Glover as an actor. My problem with him being Mr. Pink is that he is too cool for this part. Even in his roles where they are more serious, like Atlanta, or I mean, the only other thing I can kind of think of that was like semi-serious was Solo, but even that is like a fucking joke because he's playing, you know, it's, it's, he's playing, uh, my brain stopped working. Lando Calrissian. Thank you. He's playing, yeah, my brain stopped, sorry. <laughs> because he's playing Lando. So even in more serious roles, he has an air of humor and coolness to him that doesn't really fit with the Mr. Pink character and the vibe. So John Heater, now I feel bad because I feel like I'm, again, beating a dead horse, but, like, the last movie that he was in that's recognizable, because no one's seen Tremor 7, Scott, except for you, was Blades of Glory, and that was in 2007, and, like, that was okay. And then, obviously, Napoleon Dynamite. I just feel like it gives off a totally different vibe than what Mr. Pink is supposed to be. I think the idea of a John Heater comeback on paper sounds pretty dope, but... I don't think this is the way to do it. <laughs> All right. Mr. Blonde is next. <sighs> wow. <laughs> that was really exciting. <laughs> I bet you're a big Lee Marvin fan, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, me too. I love that game. <clears throat> My heart's beating so fast, I'm about to have a heart attack. Yeah. He was portrayed, in my opinion, to perfection by Michael Madsen. I don't think Michael Madsen has a ton of versatility. I think he really only plays one character, but he plays it so good. And he was 35 here. Before this, he was in Thelma and Louise, The Doors, Blood Red, some TV episodes. He's just so cool and confident. He has to be able to intimidate you even when he's staying calm. He has a playful side, which we see when he's dancing to the music, but it's a sadistic, playful side. So I went with Joaquin Phoenix here. He's 47. He can play any single role that you throw at him. And I think Mr. Blonde is a perfect mixture of Johnny Cash and Commodus from Gladiator. All right. And, you know, for my Mr. Blonde, you know, I can really take Michael Madsen's, you know, role here and zero down to two words, and that's suave and maniacal. I think, you know, at times this guy comes off as the coolest guy around, whether we're at the opening scene at the diner and he's sipping his drink there, looking around, just assessing what's going on, or when he's again sipping his drink and assessing what's going on at the warehouse. I think the guy comes off as suave. He's not really nerved by much. And, you know, he, he's definitely a tough guy. I mean, he we didn't see it because, you know, we didn't see a lot of the, you know, I wouldn't say important things, but a lot of the things that went down in Tarantino's movie here, the ear, the actual, you know, robbery, we were shown peaks of things. And then, you know, they explained the rest to us. So he took down a cop and stuffed him in the trunk. 
So that tough, maniacal, suave, for all those reasons, I ended up going with Hayden Christensen. My man um, is known for being, you know, young Anakin Skywalker, and, you know, he is who we all know turns into Darth Vader. He's a pretty maniacal guy, someone who ends up killing off kids. And so I saw, you know, now he's got a, a suave, kind of darker look to him, and then I think that he could definitely fly off the handle. So I went with Hayden Christensen. Okay. So my guy, when he walks in the room, you are intimidated by his size. And I think Mr. Blonde does that when he walks into the room, you automatically take notice of him because of the way Michael Madsen plays this. Now, my guy might not have the most acting credits, but Winston Duke walks into the room, you notice him. In Black Panther, in Us, this guy really does a great job with very little. I think he will keep growing as an actor. But again, he is intimidating. Michael Madsen doesn't say a whole lot. And the dancing scene, which is a little goofy, even when you watch it, I think Winston Duke can pull that off while still being intimidating. So I don't want to speak for everybody here, but I I think for me, this was definitely the hardest role to cast because Michael Madsen is such an enigma, (laughs) especially in regards to this movie and his performance. You kind of have to have the perfect combo and balance of like serious and silly, but also smooth, but also scary as hell. So I went with Daniel Kaluuya. He's done a lot of very serious and scary as hell movies like Get Out and uh, Queen and Slim. He was obviously in Black Panther. He did a great performance in Judas and the Black Messiah. And even in the show Black Mirror, in like, I think the first season, this is how I first, like, learned of his existence and how awesome an actor he is. But also, I think, and this is more speaking to him as a person, not necessarily as an actor, but we have seen in interviews and things, and especially at the Oscars last year, not this past year, with the slappity slap, the year before that, <laughs> with um, when he accepted his award for Best Supporting Actor, and he rambled on hilariously for about 10 minutes about how his parents had sex and now he existed and he was winning an Oscar. And for some reason, that was hilarious. So I think also, not just personally, but in his movies, he has that charm as well and that smoothness that can carry over into a nice balance for Mr. Blonde. For Hayden Christensen, I didn't love the pick. I mean, I know I cast him in Goodfellas as Henry Hill because I do think he's a better actor than people give him credit for, so I'm not knocking his acting ability. I just think of him as a little bit more nerdy than he is cool. You know, I'm not scared or intimidated by him at all, and I've never really seen a playful side of Hayden Christensen in any film I've seen him in. He's always very, very stoic and serious. Winston Duke, I actually like this pick in terms of his, like you said, his size. He's intimidating. He walks in the room. He's super cool, too. But again, I'm not sure how playful he is. And even now, I've been watching several episodes of Modern Family that he's in, and he's still kind of stiff in that. He's not very loose and playful. So that was my only knock on him is that. And then as far as Daniel Kaluuya, I think that, again, very talented actor. I think he's great. And I think my only concerns with him were, again, I don't think he's super cool or suave. I think he's mildly cool. And I don't think there's anything intimidating about him. So that was the knock I had on him. So Wayne, with the absolutely unlimited budget here, bringing in Joaquin Phoenix. Not really a criticism, just a note for any of our fans that are going to listen to this to just know that this guy's working with unlimited buco bucks. 
Obviously, we know how good of an actor Joaquin Phoenix is. I mean, you think of Joker and Gladiator, you know, specifically, but the guy has a, has a great resume. So, I mean, I, I, I like the fit. I just, I, I wish that I was playing with the same money. And I know I used to be, but I kind of tempered myself down while you're turning it up. And uh, going to the Black Panther and Jordan Peele brothers, I like them both for different reasons. I think Winston Duke, his, his sheer size is obviously something that fits the role perfectly. I think as M'Baku, he's scary. You know, you see his size, you, he, he just looks at you, he makes certain noises and sounds, and you kind of stand up straighter or you, or you find a place to hide. So I think for his size alone, I love the pick. I mean, it's hard for us to find certain actors that encompass every aspect of what we want from the original movie. So I think just for the, the size alone, I, I love the Winston Duke pick. And then for the Daniel Kaluuya, I, I loved him in Us. I think his eyes, the way he was able to just kind of be so fixated, I think that I could see that turned into a little bit of evilness. But I also think both guys have uh, that suaveness that I think is super essential to be Mr. Blonde here. So really, I, I like everybody's picks. I just wish that doing this again, that I was playing with as much money as, as Wayne was. I definitely agree. Wayne's got a lot of money, apparently, to burn here. But <laughs> Joaquin, he plays crazy really well. We know that from Gladiator to recently Joker. But I think with Joaquin, even in his craziest moments, he does come off a little whiny at times. Especially Commodus. He can come off with that little whiny attitude. Hayden does it too with... He brought up the line about killing kids when he kills the Tuscan Raiders, but his voice cracks. He's just a whiny guy. His last movie was in 2018, but he's as wooden as wooden can be, and I really don't buy him as intimidating. I know my wife's about to make an argument, so I'm going to hit this argument before she makes it. Winston Duke and Eldon Henson have to have kind of like a brotherly thing here, and I think while both of them are bigger guys... If you watch both of them behind the scenes do interviews, they're both fun and playful like guys in real life and both a little nerdy. I think they would play well with each other as a kind of a brotherly kind of fun duo because that's got to happen with the two of them. While Kaluuya, A, is not intimidating. He is very much a brainy kind of villain, I would say. I would say he is much more intellectual than intimidating. But I don't see him budding around with R.J. Seiler. Is it, are you done? Okay, oh, Scott, you think you've bested me. That's so cute. I was gonna start, I was gonna start with Wayne, but now I'm gonna start with you. So, okay, here's the thing about Winston Duke, right? So, in my opinion, which is what this show's about, right? It's about opinions? Okay. So, he has not proven he can pull off this role. This particular role is, again, it requires a very delicate balance. And this guy's done six movies. I can count the amount of movies he's done on both of my hands, and that's it. I don't even have to use all of my fingers, Scott. And three of those movies, he was like a side character that was used as a gag for like five minutes. And, well, he was in Black Panther, sight gag. Oh, he's so big, but he is so silly. That's that. And then Infinity War and Endgame, which, did we? Did he even get a line? I don't remember. And then, as far as his relationship with Eldon Henson in the film, Winston Duke may be a big old sweetheart nerd in real life, but Michael Madsen wasn't a, a sweet, lovable nerd. Now, I'll give you his size, Winston Duke. He, he's a very large and intimidating man. However, 
I don't know if he's got the moving and the grooving and the comedic and yet intimidating chops to have, he has to have a certain amount of charm that doesn't exist. And if you're resigning yourself to the fact that Eldon Henson's going to be your nice guy, Eddie, and he's just going to be foggy in a weird, like, 90s jacket, then that's not going to go well with big, scary, intimidating man that dances and cuts people's ears off. It doesn't mesh well. Now, back to the other thing I was saying regarding Wayne's pick. I think by far it's the best one, <laughs> except for mine. But the only thing that I would say, because I'm not going to knock you for budgetary reasons, because A, my cast is probably the most expensive out of everybody's, and two, we were not given a budget beforehand, therefore, I don't care. <laughs> but um, in regards to Joaquin Phoenix, the only kind of knock that I would give to it is that, despite the fact that I think he can do that weird kind of charm plus smooth plus silly plus intimidating thing, right? Because he did it in Joker. I mean, that's essentially what you're asking for here. You're asking for the Joker, but with a little knife cutting a guy's ear off, which is fine. Like, I'm down for it. The only thing is, Joaquin Phoenix, not just in Joker, but just in general, I feel like, has a tendency to sometimes be very far removed from audiences generally. I feel like a lot of times it's hard for general audiences to connect to Joaquin Phoenix and be invested in him, maybe. But that's that's kind of a nitpick, and it's pretty subjective. I would say, overall, that's a decent pick. Now, Hayden Christensen. <laughs> Jesse, I actually very much like you. You like Survivor, and <laughs> you have made pretty good picks so far, in my opinion. I'm down for you, man. But, like, really, though? <laughs> And listen, outside of Star Wars, let's forget Star Wars exists for a second, because in reality, Hayden Christensen never played Darth Vader. Let's be real. He played Anakin Skywalker, who, I mean, I don't remember what Scott, who Scott said was whiny. I think he said Joaquin was whiny. But like, let's be real. Hayden Christensen is the whiniest of whiny in the Star Wars franchise. I mean, hopefully he gets some kind of redemption in the Obi-Wan series, but we don't know. We'll, we may never know, not in the context of this episode. So in the past 20 years, and I'm going from Attack of the Clones on, he has been in shitty, bland movie after shitty, bland movie for 20 years. Not like, oh, you know, he's a young ingenue just breaking out and, you know, he's just got to find his way. No, 20 years of chances this guy's gotten. And not a one movie has blossomed and shown him to be a good actor. And with such a delicate part that needs to have a very delicate balance, I don't think he can do it, even a little bit. I think that trilogy from Star Wars, it dug such a deep hole that the only person that is trying to climb out of a further hole right now is Jar Jar Binks. That's fair, although I would rather see Jar Jar Binks in the Obi-Wan series than Amy Christensen, but that's just me. Ahmed Best did his actual best. He tried. He really did. Mr. Orange is next, and he was played by Tim Roth. I still had a connection, which was insane, because... Couldn't get any weed any fucking where then. Anyway, I had a connection with this hippie chick up in Santa Cruz, and all my friends knew it. And they give me a call, and I say, Hey, Freddy. Eh. Say, Hey, dude. You getting some? 
get some for me too. Like they knew I still smelled, so they asked me to buy some for them when I was buying for me. He was 31 in this film, and he had been in Jumpin' at the Boneyard, Vincent and Theo, Coppers, To Kill a Priest. He's a very artsy actor. He struck me as somebody who's a cool, confident cop, somebody in his mid-20s. In Over His Head, it's his first gig as an undercover cop. You know, young, dumb, and full of naivete. I cast Timothy Chalamet here. He's 26 years old and one of the biggest young actors in Hollywood right now. He was in Dune, Don't Look Up, Call Me By Your Name, Lady Bird, Little Women. I think he actually plays a better young Mr. Orange than Tim Roth did. Wow. I think Tim Roth actually did a really nice job, you know, playing an undercover cop here. I think as a rough, gruff-looking undercover cop who's obviously had some veteran time on the force to, you know, have this opportunity to get in there. I mean, you know, we started out seeing him at, at the table and he's probably one of the, the less known guys. And then boom, as soon as credits roll, we see him, you know, bleeding and, and screaming from the car. So I think he was gave us a really believable performance. You know, we haven't seen Tim Roth in, in a ton sense. I mean, I, I guess, you know, I, I know him as the abomination in the Hulk movie, but I think he did a really nice job. I think he ended up becoming a, a bigger part as, as the movie went on. And, you know, for that role, I ended up picking, you know, Wyatt Russell. Scott had mentioned, you know, the show earlier that I was really pulling from, and that's Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And I think someone like, you know, Wyatt Russell's character on there, who I'm going to go ahead and say, you know, was the fake-ass Captain America. I think his portrayal there, how hard, you know, he wanted it and what he had to do to get it, I think that really drove it for me. And, you know, I also know him from 22 Jump Street as that young jock football player, but, you know, he, he's grown up a bit more. He obviously has some great lineage, White Russell. But, you know, again, I think he'd be a really good fit here based on what he showed me in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I went with John Boyega. I stole from the sequel Star Wars, not the prequel. John Boyega, I think, could play a very convincing Tim Roth. Tim Roth had to learn a role, act. And, like, it, it's kind of funny because they do, like, a whole big acting scene of him learning this story. But he's also got to be rough and gruff and believable enough to fit in with the crew and not be like, oh, my God, this guy doesn't belong. He's clearly the cop. But he's also got to have the ability to have a strong relationship with our eventual Mr. White. We'll get there. But I think if you watch John Boyega, he was wasted in Star Wars because he's an extremely talented actor. I think if you watch things like Attack the Block, which is way early on in his career, he plays this rough and tough British hoodlum, basically. And just the way he does it, and I think as an undercover cop, he would be perfect for this role. So my pick for Mr. Orange is Stephen Yun, who is, I think, most well-known for Glenn from The Walking Dead. We miss you, Glenn. Please come back. Save the show. <laughs> if Rick won't come back, please, Glenn. I don't think Glenn can. <laughs> Shut up, Scott. <laughs> Anything can happen. It's TV magic. Anyway, I picked Steven Yun. I actually was between him and somebody else, which we can talk about later, or almost picks. But I would assume, working on The Walking Dead, he's used to not only like the drama and the high tension of the storylines and the scenes in there and he does a great job on that show but also he's he's used to a lot of fake blood around everywhere <laughs> and um he's well-rounded he's done very deeply dramatic stuff and more quick-witted stuff and most importantly i feel like with that 
kind of monologue that Mr. Orange has in the bathroom where he's retelling the story. I was between him and this other person, but both of them, I could clearly see in my mind's eye doing that monologue in the bathroom and just like knocking it out of the park, like out of the damn stadium, out of the parking lot. So yeah, that's my pick. Well, this one's going to be easy for me. I'm going to say I liked everybody's picks. I've liked Wyatt Russell. I think that I can picture him as an undercover cop. John Boyega, 100% agree, wasted in Star Wars. Great actor. I, th- I can picture him as the undercover cop. And Stephen Young as well. I think my only criticism with him is that he might play a little bit older than like a kind of like a first-time undercover guy. But let's call it like his fourth or fifth mission, and, and I'm totally good with it. I think acting-wise, he's perfect. So I liked all three picks. I can't be nice about everybody's. It's not just about budgie here, Wayne. I think that Timothy Chalamet is too pretty to be this rough, gruff, and, you know, no offense. I think, you know, while he's undercover, we get Mr. Orange looking almost trailer trashy. You know, I think he's got that vibe to him. So Timothy Chalamet is just way too pretty between Dune and, and, you know, Willy Wonka that he's got coming out. I mean, obviously the guy's strapped to a rocket. He's going to be a huge star. But I've already noted about your budget. But just beyond that, I think the guy's just way too pretty to be the guy that he needs to be. He also seems a bit young. I mean, you're talking about someone that seems out of place for, you know, a mission. I think Timothy Chalamet looks like he's maybe, you know, set for a ride-along mission and not really his first undercover job. Beyond that, going on to Frankie and Scott, I think Boyega, definitely a bright star. I will, you know, concur with what you guys have said. He had a big hand in Pacific Rim and some of those movies trying to make the them, you know, better than what they were right around that Transformer age. And in Star Wars, he really didn't get to meet his full potential there. So I think he's a, a really good actor. I'd say he's probably also a bit too good looking, a pretty suave young British chap there that I think, you know, in some conversations has been rumored to be, you know, maybe a 007 potential. But, you know, I think a little pretty on John Boyega, but, you know, all the other reasons I think he's a really good actor and he could crush this. And then going down to, you know, Stephen Yoon, are you guys Walking Dead fans? I think we see some hints here, there, and everywhere um, that you guys watch that show. But I did read a bit more about Steven. I, I definitely looked into his filmography, what he's had his hand in, and some clips of him. And uh, it sounds like he, you know, did really, really great work with Burning and Minari, which actually, you know, got him some awards. I think he's a really good fit. You know, I like your fit the most, Frankie, outside of my own, obviously. But, you know, I think the other two just gave us some guys that that are a little too pretty for me to be, you know, this trashy-looking, rough-and-gruff undercover cop. So, Timothy Chalamet is, like, the next big up-and-coming star. He does seem a little young to fit into this crew, but I can't buy him as a cop. I, it just is something about him that if he was part of this crew, you'd be like, He's the undercover cop because everybody else just kind of fits better into the crew. And he stands out like a sore thumb. Like Tim Roth, if you just watched this movie for the first time, went in blind, you might not know Tim Roth's the undercover cop because he does kind of fit in decently well. Now, Wyatt Russell, I love Wyatt Russell. I actually do. I really love him as an actor. Though you're going to knock Boyega for being pretty. Wyatt Russell's got some of the best genes for looking pretty, period. <laughs> Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn, the man's a pretty boy. But in Overlord, he's great. He definitely could play the gruff character, so I'm not going to knock you on that. Steven Yeun, I like Steven Yeun. I loved him in Walking Dead. I loved him in Mayhem. I loved him in Minari. I don't think he's rough enough either. I think he is a great actor. In the next five years... He might be one of those actors we talk about constantly for Oscars and stuff. 
I just don't think he's rough enough to be an undercover cop. And even in Mayhem, which is like a horror movie where he goes crazy and kills people, he's Stephen Young. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so I really dig the John Boyega pick. I tried to find something bad to say. I couldn't. <laughs> um, I think he kind of got the short end of the Star Wars stick where he got set up for like a really great storyline and then kind of got pushed to the side. Which probably explains why he wants nothing to do with the Star Wars universe anymore. Understandably so. So I think, yeah, I think this could be a really fun role for him to do. I also love Wyatt Russell. Again, like Scott said, love him in Overlord. Love him in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I was really glad to see him in there. The only thing that I would say, and it's like a nitpick specific to Jesse's casting, is that when I looked at, again, I don't know... The Jake Leary guy, the guy who you casted as Eddie. But when I looked at them side by side, I was like, they look a lot alike. The only difference, really, when you look quick, is that Jake Leary has tattoos. And <laughs> that's it. Like, And that's, again, kind of a nitpick. But just on his own as a pick for Mr. Orange, I think that's a great one. Timothy Chalamet. I kind of concur with everybody else. I think he's too young. I think he's too purdy. And I kind of think it's funny because, like, when you guys reviewed Reservoir Dogs, when he made a specific reference to Quentin Tarantino in general being very art housey and jazz-loving, turtleneck-wearing, Starbucks-sipping fate for people, which it is to a certain respect. We talked about that. But Timothy Chalamet basically is just that. Like, any Starbucks-sipping, turtleneck-wearing fool out there in the world, <laughs> including myself sometimes, looks at Timothy Chalamet like, you know, he is their Jesus. And <laughs> there's a reason for that. All the movies that Wayne listed as reasons why Timothy Chalamet should be in this role, I would list as reasons why he should not, because they are all under that umbrella of kind of art housey and uh, Oscar-y for lack of a better term. They're just very not Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> a little too clean cut and purdy. And lastly, we have Mr. White. Joe, Joe, I don't know what you think you know, but you're wrong. Like hell I am. Joe, trust me on this. You've made a mistake. He's a good kid. I understand you're hot. You're super fucking pissed. We're all real emotional, but you're barking up the wrong tree. I know this man. He wouldn't do that. Larry, as others know him, is played by Harvey Keitel, who was 53 years old and had previously been in Bugsy, Thelma and Louise, Mortal Thoughts, The Two Jakes, and January Man. He is the veteran presence on the team. He's the older, experienced, been there, done there type. He is a little bit warmer than the rest of the crew. He has a little bit of like that father figure feel to him. I went with Gary Oldman. He's 64 years old. We know him as Sirius Black, Commissioner Gordon. He was in The Fifth Element, Leon the Professional, Murder in the First, Tinker Taylor. Who better to play Mr. White than Sirius Black? And really, who better to play any character over 50 than Gary Oldman? He's a national treasure. See what I did there? And I think that he crushes this role. Wayne's had that line written down for weeks. <laughs> I was going to say that sounded like, a, like an Oscar host line, but I love it so very much rehearsed. You know, obviously, you know, Harvey Keitel, to, to me, and then doing some reading about Reservoir Dogs, he was the biggest name coming into this film. 
And so you needed to cast a huge name coming into, you know, any bit of recast that we're going to be doing. And so for me, I didn't think too hard. I didn't look too far. And I, I looked right into the fact that this guy's done some recent work with uh, Quentin Tarantino, and that's Leonardo DiCaprio. The guy's obviously a legend in, in his own right, but, you know, on his filmography. But when you add in the fact that he's got a great relationship with Quentin Tarantino between Django and also the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, this guy's got, you know, a great track record, can really do all kinds of stuff. He's just a, a fantastic star, one of the best in the game. And uh, yeah, I went with Leonardo DiCaprio as Mr. White. I took Mr. White is very much a father figure to Mr. Orange. He is one of the calmest guys. He's very professional until everything kind of goes wrong. But because Mr. Orange saves his life in his eyes, he is indebted to Mr. Orange. And he will do anything to make sure Mr. Orange survives. I think that is such a big part of the character of Mr. White. And I think Jeffrey Dean Morgan portrays that fatherly instinct. My wife is a huge Supernatural fan. Gigantic. She can actually quote an episode almost verbatim from the all first right, five seasons. Right. Don't make me sound insane. <laughs> but Jeffrey D. Morgan is the father of both Sam and Dean. He is the voice of reason to that show. He also does a lot of time, as he has now gone into movies, he does give a great presence about him. He is Thomas Wayne. He was in Rampage. I also wanted to bring out, because Mr. White is supposed to be from the Midwest, and I think Jeffrey D. Morgan can do an accent better than uh, Harvey Keitel. Also, just to mention, Harvey Keitel also did Mean Street, so he knows how to work with young directors, And but that was a whole other thing. I think Jeffrey D. Morgan just slides nicely into this role and helps me keep the budget down. <laughs> Stop mentioning the budget, because you're making me feel self-conscious now. I can only imagine how Wayne's feeling. So... <laughs> so... Um, First of all, I want to start off by saying I think we all have really dope picks for Mr. White. And I think, you know, like Wayne mentioned in the beginning, I think this is definitely the biggest role, definitely a starring role. If you can pick out one as a starring role, it's definitely an ensemble film. But I think Mr. White is a particularly important role to cast. My pick is uh, another Tarantino regular, well, not regular, but he's been used by the Tarantino machine and he got an Oscar out of it. Brad Pitt. I think he gives off, uh, especially as of late, like over the past few years, I think he gives off a very seasoned and grizzled type of vibe, which is kind of what Harvey Keitel gave off as well and made him stand out in that movie. He obviously has the potential of being a great leading man. I just saw the trailer for the movie he's got coming out. I, don't know, I think it's maybe the end of the month or next month, whatever. Bullet Train. And it looks really cool. And I can, I mean, that has a lot more fighting choreography. But hey, we can have Mr. White swinging around, kicking people's asses. Why not? But also, I think he adds the sometimes overlooked element with Harvey Keitel's performance of kind of being like sarcastic and having a little bit of sass in that performance. I think Brad Pitt can definitely provide that. And also, just to top it all off, in my cast in particular, Brad Pitt would be the only white actor in my cast of what, six? Yeah. Two, three, four, five, six. I can count. I can speak and count at the same time. Isn't that amazing? But yeah, Brad Pitt would be my only white actor in the cast of six. And I think that just sets it up perfectly for a Mr. White joke, which 
admittedly is kind of lame, but it falls into line with Quentin Tarantino's racially based humor <laughs> at times. So I, I'm willing to eat the bullet of having a lame white guy joke in there just for the yucks of it. I will say when it comes to Leonardo DiCaprio, I think it's funny that I got criticism from Jesse for the boyish looks of Mr. Orange, who is a young undercover cop. And yet for the most senior veteran member of this team, he went with the Webster's Dictionary definition of boyish looks in Leonardo DiCaprio. So that was my only knock on that. Obviously, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer as an actor. You can't really knock him on anything, but definitely, I think, uh, boyishly young looking. I'll say Brad Pitt. Absolutely fantastic. Love Brad Pitt. I think that's a perfect pick. I have zero criticism for it. And Scott, you have no idea how much I love your pick. From the minute I saw Negan on the screen, I had the biggest man crush on Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Well, pardon me, young man. Excuse the shit out of my goddamn French, but did you just threaten me? Look, I get threatening Davy here. But I can't have it. Not him, not me. Just put it down. Don't be rude, Rick. We are having a conversation here. That anything he did, I'd say, man, I hate that guy, but he's so friggin' cool. And uh, I love the pick of him as Mr. White. All right. So coming up on defense here, I think that Gary Oldman, you know, can obviously, you know, act in anything he can do and be whatever you need him to be. So I have no qualms there. I think you really picked a high profile actor that can do whatever you ask him to do. Uh, so no qualms there, Wayne. Going to uh, Scott's pick of Negan, I will have to admit I've never seen a single episode of The Walking Dead. I don't know if I will, but I do know of his fame. I've seen him in plenty of memes and gifts, you know, and so I think he has that presence. I think, you know, he has that look. He's obviously got that right age, you know, to him now. My only thing is, and it's probably due to me just not being as familiar with him as I could be, is with this being such a big name with Harvey Keitel and us going home runs all around the board, I think maybe you hit like a, a double, um, like a stand-up double. I, I think you probably could have brought a, a bigger, heavier name, but I'm not upset with it. I, I think it definitely fits. I just would have liked to see a bigger name there. And then, you know, going down to Brad Pitt, zero qualms at all. I, I, I think if I were going to have any, then I'd have to have some with myself. I, I think you pick somebody who's very well established, somebody who has the ties with Quentin, and someone who I, I think has, you know, like the Ocean's Eleven vibes. I think he can be that guy that has the veteran ex experience, the one who really kind of moves things around, the logistics guy. I think pulling that book from, from Joe at the diner, there's nobody else that has the balls or the gravitas of that six characters to pull that book from Joe and not give it back and kind of just give him some lip. So I think that was important to bring up Frankie. But yeah, I really like every, you know everybody's. I just wish you'd, you'd brought a, a little bit of a bigger name, Scott. Yeah, I get that. I, I understand like a big name is kind of important, but... I also think as much as this cast has grown to be all well-known actors, they weren't as well-known when this movie came out. So I kind of wanted to keep that a little lesser than, like, of course I have some bigger names in there. But so Leo and Pitt, I wanted to talk about them together because other than World War Z for Brad Pitt, neither of them have ever played a fatherly figure. Moneyball. He's not a fatherly figure. They're, he has children in Moneyball. That doesn't mean he's a fatherly figure. 
It's because he has he children. He was Jonah Hill's mentor. I'm yeah, sorry. I'm totally busting it on this. Sorry. He's <laughs> but not like, a, he's, that's incorrect. No, he's not a fatherly figure. And Leo dates 18 to 20 year olds, so he can't be a fatherly okay, figure. You can't, <laughs> that's not appropriate to just call him out like that. <laughs> just call him out. It's fine. So both, and hell, one of Brad Pitt's more recent movies, Ad Astra, he's still playing the son. Like, he's either part of the crew, or he's just, that's just who they are. They're part of the crew, they're the aggressors, they're, I can't see them having fatherly relationships with our Mr. Orange. Can't do it, that's not who they are. Gary Oldman, I have nothing bad to say about Gary Oldman. I can't. He's a living legend. He is amazing, I love him to death. I've loved him in everything he's ever been in. Yeah, so there. <laughs> okay, so I feel like I've been attacked and I must respond. Um, if Jesse doesn't mind, I would like to stick up for him too since you also attack Leo. Um, like, okay, Leo is 47 and Brad Pitt is 58, so they both are well within their rights to play fatherly figures if they so choose. <laughs> it's perfectly fine and They believable. don't. They could, though. <laughs> like, what's the problem? So, because they didn't play a role in a movie where children came from their loins, that means that they can't play fatherly fit Not fathers in Reservoir Dogs. They can't play fatherly figures. Because they've played mentor figures in movies before. I certainly know Brad Pitt has. So, anywho... I'm not, I'm not gonna argue with you, cause I actually was not gonna start shit with you at all, cause I like your pick. But you wanna start fights with me for some reason. Perhaps there's something deeper going on here, Scott. Some marital issue. But, um, good news for Wayne. I feel like I've picked on him a lot this episode, oddly. But, um, I, I love his pick. I think, other than mine, hair flip, it's the best. Jeffrey D. Morgan, I already said I love him. I'm down. I do agree with Jesse's nitpick about, like, the bigness of his name, but, like, it's... It is what it is. It's not uh, anything that I would say, oh, you can't cast him because of that. Leo, I do like that pick, but I also do think it's the least good, just because I kind of agree with Wayne in that he doesn't give off uh, a seasoned, grizzled kind of, uh, you know, he, he is kind of a pretty boy, and I don't see him having, you know, the criminal's wisdom that maybe a Harvey Keitel had in uh, Reservoir Dogs. But, again, that might be considered a nitpick, because Leo is an awesome actor, and I think if he wanted to, he could pull, pretty much pull off anything, so, yeah. I think we all did a great job, guys, and I don't know why someone wants to keep starting fights over there. Leonardo DiCaprio's anamorphing into Jack Nicholson every day. So, I mean, I, I don't know if That's I see the same... That's a terrifying thought. I don't, I, don't, so I, don't, I don't see the same boyish looks you guys do. I mean, between The Departed and, you know, Shutter Island, I mean, I see a guy who's definitely... I mean, even in his role in Don't Look Up, I mean, I don't see anybody who looks boyish or, or young. I mean, I see an, a man now. I see someone he was older. a bumbling she intellectual in that movie that took much medication. I don't know if don't look up, but I do agree that because um, I was thinking about Departed. I think Departed is kind of the best depiction of Leo and kind of like a grizzled criminal state, even though he wasn't technically a criminal. But you get what I'm saying. I I kind of agree with you. Also, I don't know. I'm on the fence about Leo, but that's still a good pick. I think. I'll go with some of my almost recasted that I had because like this was a movie that, you know, there were so many different people that I thought of for different roles, but just the top 
of the list. Initially for Joe, I had Dean Norris from Breaking Bad, and I thought he would be good there. But then I thought, you know what? Am I really basing it more on looks than acting? Because I think he's a little bit too cheerful to play Joe, which is how I ended up on Jonathan Banks. Mr. Pink, I mentioned Dev Patel was the first guy I had. Then when I said, all right, well, I can't go with a minority for this role, for any of these roles. So then I really, I was so close before I had Adam Goldberg. I almost had Giovanni Ribisi. I think he would have been a good Mr. Pink. But I felt like, no, I I really like Adam Goldberg better. And then Mr. Blonde, I had Gerard Butler initially. I thought he would be a really cool Mr. Blonde. And then lastly for Eddie, my first choice was somebody that Jesse had recasted before. That's Jeremy Allen White. But again, I think I was just looking at the looks. And when I started looking at the acting, I was like, no, I don't think he could pull it off. I really only have one almost. And it was, I think, the one that garnered me a lot of criticism to start off the episode. And that was, you know, the Michael Chiklis pick of Joe. My almost there was one I I had written in stone for a while. And that was actually Vincent D'Onofrio. You know, I'd used him in the past for our Goodfellas recast. Um, You know, he just, he oozes, you know, mob. He oozes the kingpin. So, you know, if I wasn't going to go with the guy that had that reference of the thing from Fantastic Four, then I would have gone with the quintessential, you know, kingpin, the mobster himself, and Vincent D'Onofrio, who I think is a great actor. Yeah, Vincent D'Onofrio is a great actor. I can't argue with you on that one. For Joe, I had a possibility of Woody Harrelson, who... I love him as an actor. I thought possibly he would also be very commanding. I thought maybe he was a little too young, but still fun. My nice guy, Eddie, I had Haley Joel Osmond. If you see him from The Boys, he's gone bigger. He's a little heavy set. I think he would have been interesting there. Mr. Blonde, I had Carl Urban because Carl Urban can play a crazy person really well. Mr. Pink, I went with Chris Evans because Chris Evans is going into that more character actor kind of phase that he wants to be in. That's such a bizarre pick. When you told me that, I was like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> um, Mr. Orange, I had Andrew Garfield and Paul Dano down. I hate you. I had Andrew Garfield too for Mr. That was like who I was between Steven Young and Andrew Garfield for Mr. Orange. I swore Garfield was going to be picked. I'm surprised he wasn't. And for Mr. White, I had uh, Josh Brolin. Yeah, so other than, like I said, Andrew Garfield from Mr. Orange, the only other almost that I can remember right now, it, for Joe, I was stuck between Angela Bassett and Sam Jackson, which I ultimately decided Angela Bassett because I just assumed that someone was going to pick <laughs> Sam Jackson, but no one did. I was surprised. <laughs> oh, that's a motherfucking mess. <laughs> Yeah, cool. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun, I think, doing the cast. My favorite thing, I think, most of the criticism I felt like I got was one budget, as we talked about, is there's really no budget. We can have a billion dollars to make a movie with. And the second thing was, you know, some of the on the nose, like, ah, that's really on the nose, or that's the obvious pick. And I'm like, yeah, well, if we're doing a draft of the top basketball players from North Carolina and you have the first pick and you take Michael Jordan, you know, people are going to be like, oh, that's the obvious pick. You know, <laughs> it's just I, I picked the best person for the role. Yeah. So, yeah, I was really happy with it and uh, I had a lot of fun doing it. And uh, hopefully, I wasn't uh, too harsh with anybody. Wayne just glossing over the fact that half his cast was like too pretty. You know, Timothy Chalamet is, you know, the, the, the trailer trash undercover cop. But yeah, sure. I definitely enjoyed having you both on. I think it was a, a fun dynamic to have you both competing head to head along with us. I think it would have been a very different cast if you two would have worked together. Um, but, you know, I really enjoyed having you two on, you know, always enjoy listening to your episodes. And I know Wayne and I are going to continue to listen as well as give you guys shout outs. And, you know, we hope, you know, that you'll have one or both of us on in the future. Yeah, we definitely will. I'm, I love doing recasts like in general. So I'm really, I was saying it very seriously. I'm kind of proud of myself. I didn't totally 
I cried maybe a little bit. No, I'm kidding, but it was fine. It was really fun. Wait, wait till people start voting. That's when the that's when the crying happens. I know that's gonna really hurt my feelings. I cry. I I cry. I crave positive feedback. <laughs> I I think the votes are gonna be very interesting. I think we all have some odd choices in there that will throw some people off here and there. Just say John Heater, Scott. Go ahead. <laughs> well, Hayden Christensen, John Heater. <laughs> Hayden Christensen, John Heater. All right, all right. Now look away from my cast and see somebody else. <laughs> Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, Chalamet was a weird... I mean, not to be fair to myself. I mean, I think R.J. Seidler is going to be a weird pick I for you. I think Lil Bassett's going to be an out-of-the-box one. But I committed, and I'm fourth still. Well, I got Winston Duke, I'll and I also got... Uh, Eldon Henson, so it's going to be very interesting. It's just going to be, who's the one person you see in the role that you're going to be like, oh my god, uh, I can't do that. <laughs> For Frankie's BET's version of Inglorious Bastards coming up to uh, a <laughs> theater mean, near you. The best one will be, how will I cast the bear Jew? That will be the real <laughs> the BET bear Jew. I mean, how could <laughs> how could we figure that out? So I think I uh, appreciate having you guys on. Obviously, everyone should check out Shoot the Flick. It's a really fun show. I check out every episode, even Heather's, which I'm going to get through it. But I, I didn't like the movie. And, I'm going to uh, listen. I talk Scott up on movies that he supposedly hates all the time. I'm going to get you, man. Uh, not, not on an artsy flick. well i appreciate everybody listening in definitely make sure to follow everybody on uh, twitter all the social media platforms vote on the episodes and if you vote on twitter you get a shout out if you interact with us which is more than just vote then you get a special shout out quantum uh yeah quantum recast (laughs) sequel pitch (laughs) so uh if you guys uh, vote it'd be great and other than that uh i guess that's all folks that's all folks (laughs) 